1: SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.
2: Happy Thursday. It is fantasy sports today where we're breaking down the Thursday night football game between the Seattle Seahawks and Arizona Cardinals. Not to mention reaction to last night's NBA draft and a preview of some of the other games in college and pro football this weekend. I'm Craig Mish along with Joe Pizzoppia. Two hours of fantasy discussion, also some wagering discussion as well. Coming up a little bit, Andrew Erickson will join us. Really good conversation about who to add, who to drop in fantasy. We'll ask the question, is the wrong team favored in the NFL? But Joe, the NBA draft has come and gone. I think it kind of went how most people thought, I guess, over the first couple of picks. Although the Golden State Warriors may be having to adjust a little bit, not having one of their all-stars for this coming season, or it would at least appear, as we're hoping for the best for Klay Thompson.
3: Yeah, the Klay Thompson news is certainly not good for the Golden State Warriors. But on top of it, too, it's it's an interesting situation because rarely do you get a team that's been as good or and such a good run as the Warriors have been the last few years, have a down year where they get uh, such a high pick and then able to kind of retool and go right back at it. But this Thompson injury certainly puts a wrench in those plans, potentially. We'll see as more information kind of trickles out, but uh, we don't usually get that. It's so what I was hoping for with my Patriots, to be great for 20-something years, have one really bad year, get Trevor Lawrence, and then just have another great 20 years but it doesn't always work out that way.
2: No, and and the Warriors clearly without Thompson, uh, that that would just change the entire dynamic of what they're trying to accomplish. But we'll see. We'll hope for the best. Also, LeBron James tweeting out he's hoping for the best as well for one of his players, co-players in the NBA, that's for sure. All right, let's get to our headlines here. Anthony Edwards does go number one overall in the NBA draft. James Wiseman goes number two, LaMelo Ball three, in case you missed it last night. As we mentioned, Clay Thompson suffers a leg injury during off-season training, and I'm sure we're going to get some more information on that either today or tomorrow. Should be pretty soon there, hoping for the best. Interesting last night that Bogdan Bogdanovich, he basically vetoed a trade to the Bucks after it was agreed to, and now he'll become a restricted free agent. So interesting to see what Giannis's reaction will be in the coming weeks as he decides... What to do, how much to get paid, and how long th- that he wants to stay in Milwaukee. That's definitely a question as well. Raiders add seven players to their COVID list. They take on the Kansas City Chiefs this weekend. They're a seven-and-a-half-point underdog as it stands right now on the FanDuel Sportsbook. And then yesterday, we learned late in the day that Robinson Cano suspended for the entire 2021 season, as long as it ends, for performance-enhancing drugs. This is the second time that Cano has been popped mm-hmm. for PEDs. And once upon a time, it was thought that if Cano played Joe into his late 30s and 40s, that he would have a pretty good chance to get into Cooperstown. I don't know that the first PED suspension sealed his
3: fate, but there's no doubt the second one's going to keep him out, which is a shame. It is a shame because the numbers are certainly Hall of Fame worthy. When you stack them up against the great second baseman all the time, you want to look about the Rogers Hornsby's and Ryan Sandberg's and some other guys in that great second base conversation. Well, Robinson Cano's numbers are right there with those guys. And uh, look, this is a really unfortunate set of circumstances for Cano, except for the fact that he's got two more years of guaranteed money coming at him. And uh, the New York Mets are sure happy that they don't have to pay him $24 million this year. But it's only for this year. There's two more years left on this deal. I keep trying to remind everybody. Everyone thinks, oh, look, it's fine. They look like, this that's 24, some more million dollars. But look, 4 million was still getting paid by the Mariners. So he still got 20 million left to pay him from the Mets side of things. And yes, it does free up some cash, at least for 2021 for the New York Mets new ownership to go out there and spend. And they most likely will spend it. But this is the second time, as you said, for Cano. And I think this does kind of kill any sort of Cooperstown thoughts for him. But I guess my question for you is, does he care? I mean, when you're talking about the guaranteed money in baseball, and even if you miss a season, well, you still got $48 million coming to you over the next few years, regardless if the Mets are going to have to pay you probably one way or another. So I don't know. I don't know where we start looking at how harsh these penalties should be, Craig, and and what the incentive is to really not do PEDs. Because, because yes, some of the guys have kind of lost careers over it, but when you're as big a star as Robinson who had the career that he's had, all this money is already locked up over long-term contracts. It becomes a very dicey situation, I think.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, it it does seem like stupidity is involved, but I don't think anybody wants to give away $24 million, which is what Cano is going to do this year. And and honestly, from the Mets' perspective, they'd never admit this publicly, but this is kind of their best-case scenario because would they (laughs) rather have Cano on the field the next three years or would they only rather have him on the field for two and not have to pay him for one? I think probably the answer is this, but they would never admit that publicly, certainly. And Cano did have a good 60-game season for sure. But to answer your question, I mean, clearly he does not care because it's the same exact thing that he got popped for the last time, Stanizol, Mm -hmm. whatever that is. And and it is a shame because I had him as a Hall of Famer even with the first PED suspension, but not anymore. I mean, you know exactly what the deal is. You know what you can't do, and you know what you have to avoid, and he did not. He basically has said nothing publicly. You know how this is going to go, and the next week we'll hear from him. He'll say that he didn't know probably issue some sort of apology so how do you but the say bottom you line don't is- know
3: when the first time you get popped you get popped for a masking agent. See that's that's where I, what I what I kind of struggle is it's one thing when you get popped for something it's another thing when you get popped for a masking agent. And the first time he got popped for a masking agent, which means you know what you're taking and you're taking something Mm -hmm. else to cover that up. So to me, that argument falls apart right away, Craig. I mean, I I don't know if you agree or disagree with me, but that's a tough pill to swallow. And, And an even tougher pill to swallow for Mets fans is still you're sitting there and next year, you're probably gonna have to watch Jared Kalenic come up and look like a really exciting young that's player the hard part. and you're sitting there yeah, with Edwin the Diaz part. and now Robinson Cano who you're paying millions and millions of dollars to over the next couple of years and this year he is going to be sitting out not contributing at all to the team as you're watching your prospects in your future play on other teams and that trade continues to haunt the Mets year after year since they've made it.
2: Yeah it does and, and look teams make bad trades it happens all the time they got Noah Syndergaard that was a really good trade Robinson Cano was a really bad trade and it just happens with every team and unfortunately in the situation the mets are in they're just going to have to sit with that one later on in the show in fantasy reality we'll talk about whether or not cano has played his last game in new york which i definitely think is at least worthy of a conversation trade deadline targets are next in fantasy football we'll have them for you so stay on the grid
4: Listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hey, welcome back. Craig and Joe with you here. Fantasy Sports Today, noon to two here on SportsGrid, SportsGrid.com. Follow us on Twitter at SportsGrid, and also catch all of our radio shows at SportsGrid Radio as well. Joe, it is basically... I would say the end of the line in terms of trades in fantasy football. Yeah. Most leagues have a trade deadline set where it's it's usually this week or next. There are some leagues where you could trade right up until the end, and then dicey situations are created because some teams are definitely out of the mix by now. There's no doubt. So uh, everyone approaches it differently, but I think that this is probably the final time that we can take a look at players to potentially target in fantasy. Definitely some arrows trending up and trending down. And so let's start off with the wide receiver position because clearly – to sit here and say that anybody's going to w- be willing to trade a starting running back in fantasy, they'd have to be out of their mind because you, you basically, <laughs> unless you're getting somebody back in return that's going to be able to start for you, it's probably the dumbest thing that you can do, trading Dalvin Cook or trading Chubb or trading Henry. Like, who are you going to get back that's going to give you that production unless you're sitting on a pile of running backs? Probably not an option for you. But wide receiver seems to be an option, I think, for for some
3: it, it does and you mentioned about this probably being the last best week to make trades and i would caution people too: don't set your trade deadline too late uh, i was dealing with a, a question on twitter this morning some people have been in the league for a long time they, they came to me with the kind of questions like hey i hate to avoid trades and i'm always a person that says never a trade it's the worst right. thing you can do you're setting yourself up for disaster in your league yeah, I agree. and on top of which you're playing with the wrong people if you think that collusion's going on in your league but it's very simple set the trade deadline a week nine or ten make it earlier or create a rule in your league, a very simple rule. If you're mathematically eliminated from the playoffs, you can't make a trade that's a pretty easy rule, right? That everybody can abide by. And then you don't have this mm-hmm. kind of pitfalls to fall into. But yes, wide receivers are certainly uh, on the block right now. And Devontae Parker, I think if you look at his overall numbers on the year, they're not super exciting. However, I think the trend has at least potential to go upwards and he's got 14 targets over his last two games. Uh, he's got a great schedule coming up here with the Jets with the Cincinnati Bengals uh, with the Raiders. Uh, so those are three matchups there as you go forward. You also got hopefully Tua who's going to continue to get better and progress as a passer over these next few weeks against those matchups too. So I think this is kind of the perfect storm where a player I think had expectations going into the year. He hasn't really kind of exploded at any point in time this year and not right away with Tua. So this might be a really cagey get here as you hit the stretch run and into the playoffs where I think along with him and Tua, they could potentially put up some good fantasy numbers and Parker could even be a wide receiver too, if things break, right.
2: Yeah, I, I think so. And I and I also think, look, a, a lot of Miami, over the last few weeks, we have to just determine whether if they're good or if there was a lot of luck involved. They've had five non-offensive touchdowns scored in the last three weeks. So you would have to guess that that's going to change. That That's just not sustainable over the next five weeks. So what is sustainable? Getting better on offense. I would also tell you that I don't know if it's this year, I don't know if it's the end of the year or next year, but Jakeem Grant is also going to be a factor on this Mm -hmm. team one way or the other. I don't know how Miami's going to handle this next year because Albert Wilson's a pretty good player. I don't know if they'll even want him back or have him back, but I I thought that he could be a factor on the team. Grant is starting to see a lot more targets. You're hearing comparisons to like Tyreek Hill-Light, Henry Ruggs-Light. And there aren't a lot of those guys in the NFL like that that can just catch the ball and go. Maybe more of a DFS option, honestly, at this point, if you're trying to win a million dollars. I know I used him last week, and I ended up uh, making five, my $5 finally. First time in four weeks, I ended up cashing, probably thanks to him. He was very unused. But also mm-hmm. want to make sure I mentioned Grant in the conversation, too, because he's still on some waiver wires. And maybe if you get Parker, you may want to go to another team and say, hey, look, I'll give you a nothing just to make sure that I protect myself Mm -hmm. with Parker by having Grant, because I think that he'll be a factor as well. Uh, You probably could say the same thing about the New York Giants. It's the guys with the S for the last name. It's Shepard and Slayton. Slayton and Shepard are just kind of going back and forth Mm -hmm. all season long with who's getting the targets and the opportunities. Now, Joe, the Giants are off this week, so this could be the opportunity to grab one of those Giants, because if somebody really needs a win this week, they're not going to be interested in hanging on to them. They're going to need to win.
3: Yeah, it's exactly the thought process I'm having too. So if he's available out there and he's on a buy on a team and you can help somebody with a wide receiver four type guy, say, hey, plug and play this guy. I think you look at what's coming up here for Slayton and you like it. Uh the Giants have played better offensively, and I think Shepard being back certainly helps Slayton as well. Look, last year this guy had eight touchdowns. So he's got touchdown upside. He's only got a handful so far this year. So there's still potential of touchdown equity. You also look at some of the matchups. Seattle and Cleveland are coming up for him. I don't know if you looked at the stats lately, boys. girls but those two teams give up so many points against wide receivers oh my goodness you could throw in those guys all day long and daniel jones probably will so jones along with Shepard and slayton all become interesting trade targets but slayton i think can be the guy you kind of pluck off for nothing especially with this week in the bye and actually make uh make up some ground potentially as you head into the playoffs
2: yeah and and that's the thing is is you can make trades this week again not just with the with the Giants, but maybe the 49ers as well. Maybe you can get Mm -hmm. Mostert or you can get uh, Jeff Wilson from someone potentially maybe for the, for the stretch, because if you need a win this week, you're not gonna be worrying about guys that aren't playing. Let's move on to the quarterback position where hard to believe that people have still soured on Lamar Jackson, but the reality is, is at the end of the season, I mean, he's not gonna grade out based on where he was drafted. I'm very stunned over the seeing him play the last three
3: weeks. But, Joe, the defenses, as we'll see here, have been tough. So maybe we shouldn't have been surprised. Yeah, and I think this is what I'm trying to get people to see is the big picture. And I'm also trying to make you feel better about your late push Lamar Jackson narrative, because I think it does have some weight and some value. And I think when you start looking at these teams coming up here, Tennessee, Dallas, Cleveland, Jacksonville, the Giants, those are much better matchups than what he's been facing. I mean, look, the guy faced Kansas City. He faced Pittsburgh. He faced Indianapolis, New England in the last three weeks. And then you add in the Kansas city game too. Look, they've played pretty well defensively. So look, he has basically been pretty good this year. The problem is he hasn't been good enough to warrant taking in the second or third round. And I think if other teams can throw a quarterback and something else, you can get Lamar Jackson and the best version of Lamar Jackson potentially Is still ahead of him for the rest of the season because of these matchups Craig so I think there's every opportunity in the world that if you want to make the mega deal you want to make the difference maker deal you know we talked about two players that I think are ancillary pieces on a fantasy team in Parker and Slayton this is the big deal this is the deal that could actually carry you over because Lamar Jackson carried teams into the playoffs by himself last year and he could very well do that again and it's very odd that we're sitting here in week 11 and he could even be on the trading block but the reality is he is. He's one of the most traded players out there on Yahoo and ESPN. And I can tell you right now, you look at the schedule coming up, I think there's every opportunity for him to be as good as he was last year in this stretch run.
2: All right. Now, in terms of selling, there's always players that you can look at on your roster and and say, should I be selling? Uh, I was going through that with Mike Evans in a couple of leagues, Godwin in another one, and it seems like holding on to them ended up being the right move. But this is probably the last chance to take advantage of some players who probably look good in the first 10 weeks and may not in the final six. So let's give out one player, Joe, that could potentially be a sell candidate. And I think running back is the best way to start because everyone always needs a plug and play guy.
3: Yeah, everyone needs one. And if someone else has acres or someone else has Brown, I think having more of the Rams running backs just to solidify the ownership of the backfield could potentially be useful, especially if there is an injury. I mean, this is when you start talking about insurance policies here with fantasy teams. This is when you start looking around saying, okay, is this player really valuable to me or is he more valuable to someone else in my league? And Henderson might be more valuable to the other owners of Brown or Acres just to hedge their bets, just to have an insurance policy if there are injuries, because we all know you could uh, snap your fingers as Thanos likes to do, and then all of a sudden, dramatically, the landscape can change. And if you notice, Henderson's snap count has gone down the last few weeks. He doesn't get a of run zone looks and on top of it, he doesn't get the goal line carries that goes to Malcolm Brown. So if you are going to look at what Akers did last week as a trend, then Daryl Henderson, this is it. This could be his swan song for the rest of the season. So I think this is your last opportunity to get out from this. And I don't say you have to get a lot. If you could get back Slayton, I would take that in a second. If you can get back Sterling Shepard, I, I would, I would take him in a sec. I think there's guys out there that you would take and, and probably be better off as a flex option than Daryl Henderson. Over these last few weeks of the regular fantasy season and for the playoffs as well, Craig.
2: Yeah, and I think that with the Rams in particular, I don't, I don't think it'll ever be one guy. Even though I know Acres is getting a little bit more volume there, and and I don't trust anything that McVay says about the running backs. This is going back to last year uh, with Gurley too. Look, they're they're going to be splitting. It's more or less like the Indianapolis situation. I, I don't see a big difference there. And playing one guy one week will work and it won't another. And so you may as well see if that Rams owner is willing to take on the extra guy is the wrong team favored. We'll play that game next.
1: Sportsgrid.com betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24 seven. As our team covers the most important topics in sports, wagering real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more want the edge, then get on the grid sportsgrid.com.
2: Normally this time of the year in the NFL, what you see is a lot of big lines and a lot of big point spreads. And certainly there are a couple this week. For example, the Pittsburgh Steelers are 10 point road favorites at Jacksonville this week. But what's unusual about the 2020 season is that it seems like the talent disparity in the middle is really all not that much. Of course, you have the Jets at the bottom and you have the Jaguars at the bottom, but You know, that being said, there are a lot of really tight lines this week. Specifically, we're going to review four games this week where the lines are three or less. There are two other games where the lines are basically four to five in the NFL. So uh, we definitely have our good picks for the week in terms of determining which games the wrong team may be favored in. And just for clarification, usually we try to keep these lines three or under. So this way that there is certainly the possibility of the wrong team being favored. Cause Joe, in my mind, when a team is five point favorites, it's hard. I don't, I don't want to curse myself with Vegas and say, they got it completely wrong that I ain't going to do, but with a point or two, I'm willing to go down that road. And that's what we'll do here on the show today.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think also what we saw at the beginning of the year, too, is defenses really were not up to speed. I think defenses have been playing better over the last few weeks than they were over the first few weeks of the season, too. So I think that has a lot to do with it. Things are tightening up a little bit uh, in terms of races. So that's also good. But you're right. I think uh, there's definitely been, you know, know, those disparities with the teams that are, you know, like Pittsburgh and Kansas City Chiefs teams that look like they're in a different class and then teams that look like they uh, should stay after school with the Jets and the Jags and some other ones too. So we'll see if we can uh, get some lessons here for everybody with whether or not the wrong team is favored.
2: All right, let's start off with a couple of games on the early part of the NFL slate. And we'll start off with Cincinnati at Washington. FanDuel Sportsbook has Washington, as a point and a half favorite now cincinnati has looked good in some spots but i think that what we saw last week is really the indicator where joe burrow is a rookie quarterback and when he faces off against a really good defense he's going to have trouble it's happened several times this year it happened against the ravens it's happened against the steelers i guess the question is 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 washington's football team a top 10 top 15 defense because if they are Then I think that the right team is favored here. And you probably would think that Washington's got a great shot to win the game. They had a great shot to win the uh, last game at Detroit. It seems like they're in every single game. So, Joe, for me, I I do think that the right team is favored here. and And I think that you have to make Washington a little bit of a favorite. Cincinnati's been a very popular dog. And I know that last Mm -hmm. week, a lot of folks thought that, hey, Cincinnati will probably play close with Pittsburgh. That definitely was not the case. I don't think that there's much of a reaction here. Don't have a strong opinion one way or the other about the game. But I think the line is about right. And in fact, I would make Washington maybe two or three. They've played well enough to stay in games. This game probably comes down to the fourth. Someone kicks a field goal and wins. So I feel like this this is spot on.
3: Yeah, the Washington defense has played pretty well most of the year. And um, I will say this, I do think the right team is favored here, but I also don't want to dismiss Joe Burrow and the Bengals because they've done this before to us where they've looked bad in a game, especially against a team, you know, (laughs) like the Pittsburgh Steelers or, you know, a team like the Ravens where they're just kind of outclassed. And then all of a sudden they show up the next week and you go, oh, oh wow, look at the look at the Cincinnati offense, look what they're able to do. And the Cincinnati defense is not very good, but I don't think that necessarily the Washington offense is all that great either. Detroit has a lot of problems. So as good as the Washington offense looked last week and as bad as the Cincinnati offense looked last week. I don't necessarily want to take that and run with it and kind of take too much into this game. I think these teams are very evenly matched, and that's what obviously the line indicates as well. I actually think the Bengals, this is my upset special of the week on the podcast. I think the Bengals are the team that actually can pull out a victory here because this game will be close. And close to me goes, can Joe Burrow make a play? And I think he can. However, I do think the right team is my favorite here. I think you do have to at least respect that Washington defense and how well they've played over the last few weeks.
2: Yeah, I I mean, it feels to me, fourth quarter, tied at 16, someone kicks a field goal, and and, and that means the line is right, if it feels like Mm -hmm. it's where it needs to be. Uh, Okay, let's move on to New England at Houston. The Patriots are minus two at the Texans. Houston, really hard to gauge last week because of the weather, so I I don't know that I could make any claim on Houston based on last week, but based on the season, they just really haven't been a good team. New England, you know, it's really interesting with New England because they've really should have won four games in a row. They they, they could. Well, I I take it back. They could have won four games in a row because the game against Buffalo, Cam Newton fumbled at the end. At the very least, they kick a field goal. Maybe they go to overtime. And then Mm -hmm. on the flip side, they play the Jets. They could have easily lost that game. So that kind of canceled it out. But they play competitive in every game. You know, honestly, this game doesn't feel like any different than the game we just discussed. I feel like it's down to the end. It's a low-scoring game, and someone's kicking a field goal to win. The Patriots have been playing better football. The trend says New England because they seem to be playing better than Houston. So I I think, again, the right team is favored here. Patriots are better than the Texans. And maybe not two. Maybe it's one, or maybe it's a pick But Houston should not be favored in this game, I don't think, or else I definitely
3: would take New England. So I think that the line is right. I think the right team is favored here. I agree. I think the right team is favored as well, not just because of the trend, but also, look, when two of your three victories come against the Jaguars, I think that tells you everything you need to know about the Texans this year. Okay, the Texans are not a good football team. Basically, they've bottom-fed a little bit, and that's pretty much the only spot they've been able to be any good. And they just give up a ton of yards on the ground and that's the one thing that the new england offense has actually been pretty good at that offensive line has played pretty well for new england in terms of run protection and they've been able to run the football with harris much more effectively and and for those who are worried about him look he had an ankle issue last week they kind of rested him and kind of paced him through practice last week. And he showed up and they gave him a ton of carries. I would imagine him and Burkett are very active. We'll see if Sony Michelle's back for this game too. Cam Newton's going to run. I think they're just going to literally run all over Houston and that's going to be enough. So I agree. I do think the right team is favored here, despite New England's ineffectiveness at times. And sometimes they do just kind of regress and look terrible at other moments. But at least in the last few weeks, it does seem like they're getting back on track as Cam Newton has gotten healthier.
2: Yeah, I, I think also the other thing for me with this game specifically, I rarely say this, but I, I think given the given the fact that Patriots have played four weeks in a row and the game has come down to the final possession four weeks in a row, I would consider taking the money line and just eliminating the spread from this and making, a making it making it really good point. It's just every every game they play, it's the last touchdown, the last field goal, the last fumble. If that's the case,
3: and why I don't even because want to have any do- points in- because they don't have playmakers, Craig. They don't have separation guys. They don't have the guys that make plays where you go up. Oh, that's the game. There's that. Nick Chuck, you know 90 yard run. And you know, Watson's going to have the ball with a minute left yeah. with a
2: chance to win. So, so again, You're I, I'm going to, I'm going to say money line on that one. If, if your interest is on new England. All right. Now uh, back to Cleveland again, back to bad weather again. It feels like we're down the same road with the Browns here. They have found a way to win these very close games, not necessarily cover because of Nick Chubb going out of bounds. Of course, that was a key part of last week. I hear a lot of people really feeling good about Philadelphia this week, and I bounce back and and, and all these good things. I, I just don't see it. I, I don't see the Eagles being good. They did not play well last week against the Giants. Are they going to play better against Cleveland? Of course. You can't go O for your first 9 on third down and not expect a, a stat correction there. That's going to correct itself. But... I mean the right team is favored here I just I I don't I don't like Cleveland I don't like Philadelphia but I think you make the home team a three-point favorite and and that's the end of the story I I don't love this game at all but I I I like I think the line's right I think it should be Cleveland minus three I could see Philadelphia winning but I, I don't I don't like them either it's just a pass for me completely
3: uh, I'll tell you what, I'm actually way more confident in this game than you are. And I'm in lockstep. This is three for three for us. Uh, and, and I think that the, the Cleveland Browns should absolutely be favored. Yes, they're one dimensional, but that one dimensional is really effective. And Miles Garrett's played outstanding football and he is going to get to Carson Wentz. Uh, Let le- Make no mistake about this. Carson Wentz is in trouble this week and his name is Miles Garrett. <laughs> okay. That offensive line has played terrible. Wentz keeps making mistakes. And I feel like as long as Wentz keeps making mistakes, He's going to give up this game and I don't think it's going to be a pretty game by any stretcher. I love, love, love the defense this week of the Cleveland Browns on FanDuel. I think they are very reasonably priced for what I think they can give you in terms of sacks and turnovers and maybe even a touchdown to boot. But I think the right team is favored. I think they're going to run the football, Cleveland, and they're going to do that effectively, and that's going to make things really difficult, and they're going to have to try to be as efficient as they can, the Philadelphia Eagles, but efficiency hasn't been their strong suit, and Wentz has really regressed, and I'm sorry. I'm tired of hearing, well, just wait till the Eagles get healthy. Well, they were healthy last week. How did that work out? Yeah, they're healthier this week. You know what? I don't care. They're not playing good football. And I don't expect them to go out on the road and win, so I think Cleveland actually wins this game, and I don't think it's going to be pretty, but I think it's going to be a W.
2: It'll be very close. If the weather's the same, you could be looking at a three point spread. Okay. Let's, let's close it out here. This is, this is so reminiscent of last Thursday night to me. This is the same (laughs) game here. Green Bay at Indianapolis. (laughs) Colts are minus two and a half. The world is going to take the Packers. The world is going to take Aaron Rodgers with the points, but this is the line and the Colts You know, like again, last week it was the same thing. Oh my gosh, how can the Colts be favored at the Titans? Well, you know what? The Colts are like the only team in the NFL that you know is going to play good defense. And when Rodgers went up last week, Joe, against or two weeks ago, it went three weeks ago, I'm sorry, against a really good defense in Tampa Bay, he struggled. So I want to take the Packers. I I looked at it and said, wait a second, how could the Packers be dogs? But I think the line is right. (laughs) the board here, I got Colts minus two and a half. I think the line's right.
3: I, I I can't believe we're doing this four in a row for you and I, and and I also want to point out too that you know they should have beat the Vikings handily. They did not, right? Then they should have. We all agree they should have absolutely trounced Jacksonville last week, right? They did not. They kind of let Jacksonville hang in that game it's it's would not shock me though this is the one that would not shock me if Aaron Rodgers just was able to overcome all the great defense and play a great game and he played up to the competition of course that would not surprise us he's a hall of fame quarterback but at the same time I gotta say I'm with you I feel like this is really shady right here and it feels like it's asking you begging you to go to the Packers side and I don't know if that's right because the defense has played very well for Indianapolis they seem to have found something with this running back by committee that they're using Pittman being back has given him some other use in the uh, passing game that was not there. Hilton's been back healthy too. So I'm with you. I think the Colts should be favored in this football game.
2: Yeah. You can't convince me that Indianapolis is better than green Bay, but when I see a line, I have to say (laughs) that I have to say that there's something odd about it. And maybe the Packers are just a really square dog this week. All right. Coming up next more fantasy football discussion with Andrew Erickson. Stay on the grid.
1: SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.
3: All right. Welcome back, everybody. Fantasy Sports Today right here on SportsGrid and it's Thursday. That means our good friend, Andrew Erickson from pro football focus is going to join us for a little past, present and future. I'll look back at the week that was what's happening right now in the NFL and what should be happening this coming week. And Andrew, it was certainly uh, an eventful week last week. And I think basically spearheaded by the moment that was Kyler Murray and uh, the Buffalo bills game, that whole game with the Cardinals, that hail Murray, as I like to call it here, as I've dubbed it here on the program, an incredible moment, an incredible season for Kyler Murray. And basically, I feel like we're kind of where we were last year with Lamar Jackson, a young athletic quarterback having a transcendent season. Only this time, this quarterback not only can run, but he can really throw the ball. I know Lamar had a ton of passing touchdowns, led the league last year, but it feels like Kyler Murray is on a whole different kind of path right now. And I know it's tough. We often talk here on the show about being prisoners of the moment too much. But are we seeing this transcendent young quarterback kind of come into his own right now?
5: Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. You know, these quarterbacks every year we see one guy just kind of stand yeah. out above the rest, and that's Calum. Kind of so if you have him, it's not this isn't a oh you got to sell high, like you got to get out. It's like no, just enjoy the ride. It's going to continue to keep going. You know, just like it was with Lamar last year, just like it was with Mahomes two years ago. You know, you you got the quarterback, you nailed the pick, and it's now it's starting to wonder. You know, with some of these quarterbacks, you know, Murray wasn't a late run quarterback this year. You know, he was going no. up with the other guys. So now it's kind of questioning the process. Okay. With quarterbacks now putting up like 40 points, like you can't just take a 20 point performance from a guy you picked up off the waiver wire necessarily. So it's really starting to think, Hey, we may need to pay attention more to, you know, taking quarterbacks earlier rather than later on in drafts. Well, this is why I love you, Andrew, because this is exactly the topic I wanted to talk about because uh, in the
3: past, you know, late round quarterback is a very viable strategy because there wasn't a whole lot of separation. You had a lot of depth at the position of the league. But right now, when you have transcendent quarterbacks, when you guys have rushing touchdowns, the rushing yard ability that these guys have, it really is a difference maker. You're talking about like 20 points isn't really enough necessarily. 18 points is not enough. You got these guys going out for 35 and 40. That is a whole different universe. So going forward into 2021, how do you think that's going to change things? Do you think you're going to see people start to reach for these quarterbacks in the second and third round, not just because how productive they are? But well, let's also be honest, guys like Allen Mahomes, Russell Wilson, all these guys, Murray included, these guys are more protected in terms of injury risk and things like that compared to, say, running backs or other positions. So does that make them in a lot of ways potentially even more uh, of a better investment going forward in redraft leagues?
5: Yeah, I think it goes dependent on, you know, really where you take them. You know, Mahomes and Lamar were, you know, second round picks like that was really was getting really, really expensive. You know, Murray was going more in the fourth and fifth round. It's like, OK, like you could still draft those guys and still get a running back, a, a stud wide receiver. So I think it really is dependent on, you know, if quarterbacks are going in the first round, like, sorry, I'm out. Like, I'm just, that's not going to happen. I no, okay. take quarterback in the first round. But and again, it's hard for us to times project. You know, you know, a lot of us thought maybe it could be Dak that could be putting up this season mm-hmm. that Murray is, and he looked like he was well on his way, but he got hurt. And again, he was going in that tier with Murray, with Deshaun Watson. It's really about just kind of finding that right guy. And you know, as we've seen so far this year, we have a bunch, a crop of rookie quarterbacks that we're probably gonna have to, we're gonna right. spend all summer talking about, trying to figure out. Hey, the trend is the second year quarterback is gonna be the best one in fantasy. Is it gonna be Burrow? Is it gonna be Herbert? Is it gonna be Tua? Jake Luton, maybe <laughs> I Don't, know, I don't know, push the envelope <laughs> too far here. But but that's a good question, too, since we're in that
3: in that vein and discussing it. Do you believe that because of the depth now with these rookies and, and obviously Trevor Lawrence coming to the league next year, a couple other really good young college quarterbacks coming in the league as well, who might just start from day one? does that change the dynamic for you because it makes you want to even reach for the other guys less? I mean, if you're seeing these young athletic quarterbacks starting to take hold of jobs sooner, does that mean that you really do want to pass on guys like Lamar and Kyler Murray in the second round, or do you just want to take the proven guys because those guys still have that learning curve in the NFL? You're right. It does kind of seem like the second year is kind of where they start to flourish. But I mean, Joe Burrow's been pretty good this year. Herbert's been very good to us so far. Statistically not in that same conversation yet, but certainly winning games. So there's a lot to unpack here. I feel like the quarterback position, I mean, Superflex totally is a different story. I mean, Superflex leagues, I feel like you better be aggressive at quarterback. But in your single quarterback leagues, it really is starting to feel like if you don't at least have one of those guys, you are going to be behind on a weekly basis.
5: Yeah. I mean, it's giving you an, I mean, that's what's winning people leagues. Like if you look at, I guarantee you look, go to your league, figure out who's in first place. They probably have Kyler Murray. Like they have Kyler Murray win. or
3: they have Josh Allen or they have <laughs> Mahomes. And, and it's funny yeah. because
5: that, that is, that's been
3: the difference maker. So uh, it's going to be fascinating to see. And, and speaking of which, obviously these two teams are going to lock up tonight. Obviously on Thursday night football, you got the Seahawks and uh, Kyler Murray and the Cardinals. Russell Wilson has not been great lately. He's been turning over the ball a ton uh, he's got a lot of turnovers, really. He's on pace to just shatter his annual uh, record for interceptions in a season. Are you worried at all about what's going on, with Russell Wilson? Is the defense, or lack
5: thereof, and the injuries to the running game finally kind of taking its toll on him? Well, naturally, with an uptick in passes and usage, he's going to throw more picks. You know, we right. always praise him for being so super efficient on low volume, and— Obviously, that has to do you throw less times. You're going to just throw less balls that are going to get intercepted. So I'm not concerned about turnovers necessarily. Again, last week was really bad. But he was under pressure at the highest rate he had seen all season long, over 50%. His, his average is right around like 30%. So he was under pressure all day long, and he was trying to do everything on his own. Just He was trying to do too much, I think. He was really pressing. He's really trying to get those MVP votes, and it's <laughs> kind of backfired just a little bit but I mean he's still averaging you know second to Kyler Murray in fantasy points per game he's still averaging more fantasy points per game than the 2018 version of Patrick Mahomes so not concerned about Russell Wilson you know you have your trade deadline still you want to send a trade for Russell Wilson because someone's freaking out because he had one bad game go get him yeah
3: fair enough there speaking of trying to do too much Carson Wentz and the Eagles lost to the Giants Yeah, that's right. It happened. And the giants are right in the thick of it. And I think from a fantasy standpoint too, it's time to start paying a little attention to him. I I think that, you know, Darius Slayton might be an interesting acquisition this week going forward in the last week of the trade deadline. Shepard's finally healthy. Daniel Jones is running around a fair amount. Wayne Gallman is scoring touchdowns. So all of a sudden this giant's offense is starting to have a little bit of life in these last few games. And when you look forward on the schedule, it's actually not that bad for them. Are the Giants and Daniel Jones right now kind of the low-key favorites for this division and in terms of fantasy, do you think that they can kind of be some low-key helpers on your path to a championship?
5: Yeah, Wayne Gallman is the RB3 overall over the past month. Never thought That's, I would say that. Are you sure about that? That feels right. wrong. That feels nope. wrong on so many levels, my friend. I can't even <laughs> handle that. RB three Wayne Gallman, and again, I mean, I can't imagine that even if Devontae Freeman comes back or whenever he, I don't know, the guy's dust at this point. But I mean, Wayne Gallman, (laughs) he's in really good shape. I mean, the thing is, it's not fluky. He's just getting touches near the goal line and he's scoring. You know, you can't blame a guy for scoring touchdowns on goal line carries, and that's what he's doing. It's it's the fluky. Oh, he runs for an eighty-yard touchdown every single week. Okay. That's something that's not sustainable. But even I was like, oh, there's no way he's going to keep up this touchdown rate. But if they just keep, you know, going to the goal line, keep giving him the ball, then he's going to keep scoring. So, yeah, you hit the nail on the head with the schedule. The Giants telling everyone all season long and draft season can't draft Daniel Jones, can't draft Giants because their schedule sucks so bad. Pittsburgh week one, you can't start them and That's that was true. They were terrible for the beginning of the year. We, we nailed it. But now, eventually, the schedule has to lighten up, and and like you said, that's what it has. And I think that going after these guys on the bye week, Darius Slayton, Wayne Gallman, who people probably don't even know has been this good because he just he doesn't have that name cachet. I like going after these Giants. Yeah, well, the Chinese are going
3: after each other, too. At least the coaching staff, it seems like, too. What,
5: what a wild story that is. <laughs> I, God,
3: only in 2020, right? Usually you can go after another coordinator, but don't go after the head coach. Like, you're not supposed to get in a fight with the head coach. Joe Judge gets a rise out of people, it looks like. Uh, it's a bad, it's bad ED move. For sure. <laughs> it's definitely not definitely not the way you want to go. All right, let's uh, let's talk about where Joe Judge used to be in the New England. The Patriots had a big win this past week. And uh, look, they got a really good matchup going forward here against the Houston Texans. Now, the Patriots play defense and run the football. They're going to be in games. Now, when we try to look at the future here for this team and the immediate future being this particular week, Damian Harris has three 100-yard games. Rex Burkhead's been very effective. Cam Newton's been certainly good running the football all year. So I guess here's the question here. Is this kind of an all-in situation with those guys, whether it be season-long or DFS, where you have confidence in the Patriots against a Texans team that has been
5: just absolutely atrocious against the run this year? Yeah. I mean, the Texans have beaten one team this year, twice the Jacksonville Jaguars. That that's where they're that at. Says it all. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they're just a bad team across the board. Again, they would be, they would have no wins if they didn't have Deshaun Watson. Like he is everything to that team right now. He makes everything work. A normal quarterback wouldn't be able to help and sustain Will Fuller and Brandon cooks and that type of production. So Again, yeah, they can't stop the run and when they're thrown on, they can't stop the pass. So again, it's just a it's a mismatch. The Patriots are really good at running the football. That that's what they've built their team around this season with Cam Newton, with Damien Harris. They have a really good offensive line, which is being overlooked by a lot of different you know, fantasy analysts. You know, the line is really good. Offensive line has done a really good job protecting Cam Newton. So yeah, I mean, you're gonna run the ball with them. It sucks that Damian Harris just doesn't catch passes. It yeah. really hurts him in PPR, but doesn't necessarily score touchdowns either. Yeah, <laughs> but again, kind of the problem. if he's ever going to break a big one off for a touchdown, it would probably be against the Houston Texans. So if you have Damien Harris, you're going to play in this matchup, especially coming off a hundred-yard game where he looked great.
3: Yeah, again, it's there's not a lot of those 100-yard games floating out there. And last week, the Texans gave up 200-yard uh, games in, in one single game to the Cleveland Browns running backs, which, you know, granted, they're, they're pretty good. They're better than most running back tandems. But still, that's a lot of yards given up there. Um, what do you think of also Rex Burkhead, too? I mean, this is another guy that I feel like has kind of— Been low-key useful most of the year as a flex. He's had some good games and some good moments. Is this the kind of game where you would want to start him potentially as a flex in this one in PPR, too? Because he is the guy getting the touchdowns. He does seem to have, in a lot of ways, taken over that James White role.
5: Yeah, it's really weird how they're just not using James White at all anymore. It it was always Burkhead would always kind of fill in for White. We'd always see these weird spike games from Burkhead whenever White had to miss time. But ever since White missed early on in the season against the Seahawks, he missed that game. And he actually missed a couple games because of an incident that happened with his family he's just really been phased out of the offense altogether. Like I have him on a a dynasty team and I'm just like, I don't, I I can't start this guy. Like he's just not, he's not seeing the field. So yeah, I I still like Harris more just because I know he's going to be probably at least a lock for probably 20 carries again. He's got a score. So we're hoping that he can break off a big one, but Burkhead's got a floor with some receptions and the matchup is there against the terrible run defense. All right. Well,
3: we got two weeks of no Drew Brees at minimum. So this is the million dollar question this is what everybody wants to know. We've been talking about all week. I know what my thoughts are. Everyone's heard me. So I want to hear you now. telling me about James Winston, Taysom Hill, this new Orleans offense, and what's going to look like without breeze these next few weeks, because I understand, especially this week, it's very tempting against Atlanta, but isn't there some downside here with Winston too, especially when you get around the goal line area or inside the red zone?
5: I mean, you don't draft, you don't start James Winston in fantasy because you're hoping that he's going to convert goal line <laughs> passes. He's not going to be anywhere near the goal line because he's shucking the ball 40 yards downfield for touchdowns. Like, I mean, look, he's playing the Atlanta Falcons. I think we're overthinking this. Look, he's James okay. Winston. He threw for 5,000 yards last year, 30 touchdowns, 30 picks, you know, whatever, 30, 30 in 2020. And he's got twenty twenty vision <laughs> again. Yeah. The dude's probably going to throw a couple picks, but it doesn't matter. You know, fantasy football, the the scoring is is broken in, in a sense where, you know, bad. We were talking about Drew Locke, remember? We talked yes. about this last week, and I, and I talked about it. it's not sustainable. It's true, but you can still put up massive games and be a bad quarterback. So, for me, the matchup is so there. He's played the Falcons so many times. He's thrown for sure. multiple touchdowns in his last four games against the Atlanta Falcons. Michael Thomas was his primary receiver. I mean, Michael Thomas is not – is he, Michael Thomas never going to finish as, like, a top 30 receiver, like, all season? that that's not going to happen. He's going to have to finish as a wide receiver one, at least one week. And I would bet it would probably be this week.
3: Yeah, all right. Uh, I'm glad it's good to have a different take on there because I like the matchup, but I'm definitely concerned. I just, I wonder about you know, the uses of Taysom Hill and how that's going to possibly affect him. And, and look, I, I understand Winston didn't look great uh, first shot out of the gate there, but I want to give him a whole, full week of practice with the ones and see how he comes out of this too. Are, are you worried at all about new Orleans long-term uh, outlook here real quick before we hit the break?
5: No, I mean, they won with the back of quarterback last year with Teddy Bridgewater. And I will say, you know, with Teddy Bridgewater took under 100 sender last year, you know, Taysom Hill saw less usage. So that's true. That's a good point. Look at that. But that Andrew was before we got paid.
3: Right, man. Not just a pretty face. Are right, we come back, we're going to do a little fantasy trivia. We're going to test the mind of Andrew Erickson further. So don't go anywhere. You're watching fantasy sports today. We'll be right back right here on Sports Geared right after this with more of Andrew Erickson pro football focus. So stay on the grid, my friends. All right, boys and girls, let's close out the hour strong here with a little fantasy trivia on fantasy sports today. But before we do, make sure you give Andrew Erickson a follow over on Twitter at Andrew Erickson underscore and check out all his great work at Pro Football Focus. Andrew, what are you working on for the boys and girls this week?
5: Yeah, I got the start sit coming out. Highlighted by my guy Jameis Winston, so ah, that'll that'll guy. be that'll be a ton of fun to to talk about, and we'll see how that goes. But yeah, also working on a new article that comes out every Saturday, injury report cheat sheet. So looking yeah. at offensive line injuries, defensive injuries, and trying to pinpoint you know where defenses can be exposed. You know, last week Ravens didn't have Clay's Campbell. No coincidence that the Patriots were able to run all over the Ravens.
3: I like that. That's really helpful for all you people playing FanDuel this weekend, too. So keep an eye out on that. And obviously, Andrew, I'm sure we'll tweet that out. Maybe he'll fleet it, too. And what all the crazy kids are doing (laughs) nowadays. (laughs) All right. So let's play a little trivia for you. Obviously, uh, running backs are scarce this year, but I want to ask you about who's been the best of the best in terms of yards per carry. So who leads the league in average yards per carry for running backs this year with obviously qualifying amount of touches? Who do you think that name is? It's got to be Dalvin Cook, right? It is not Dalvin Cook. It's actually Nick Chubb, if you can believe it. 6.1. What? Dal- I mean, Dalvin cook's a really good answer. Don't get me wrong. That's what I would have thought too, <laughs> but it turns out to be Nick Chubb. So I stumped you on this one. Now, Nick Chubb just came back last week. He certainly looked good. Do we kind of take Nick Chubb for granted a little bit? Because I feel like he kind of gets lost in the shuffle.
5: Yeah, I think that something else that's kind of going on too is people keep referring back to like the cream hunt splits with and without Chubb. And I don't think that's the right way to look at it. You got to look at it as, hey, this isn't Kareem Hunt with and with Nick Chubb. This is Kareem Hunt with Wyatt Teller, the best blocking guard in the NFL. Uh-huh. When the Browns have that offensive line, all of their guys, it doesn't matter who the running back is because <laughs> they are just they're bulldozing over defensive lines all over the place. So, yeah, I think Chubb is super underrated and he doesn't get enough love. And even though he would have had an insane fantasy day if he just hadn't, you know, he obviously stepped out before he was able to score. Sure. So he would have had a much bigger game. But the guy already has five touchdowns. He's missed like half the season. <laughs> so, know. so yeah, I love Nick Chubb. And I think that him and Cream Hunter both honestly like borderline RB ones for the rest of the season.
3: Yeah, I got to tell you, man, I feel more confident in Chubb the rest of the season than I do in Ezekiel Elliott. And that is no lie. I feel give me all the Nick Chubb shares. I'll gladly take him. There's some other guys right now ahead of him, quote unquote, that I don't feel nearly as good about. But we always feel good about you, Andrew. Thanks for joining us, as always, on the program. Hour one is in the books. Hour two of fantasy sports today is just around the corner. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back right after this right here on Sports Group.